This is a Project Humanoid production. Whammo. We should like, I don't know, probably just keep working on jokes. Let's just start winging jokes. Okay. For a Father's Day opener. It's like an improv thing. Yeah, because I didn't. Oh. So I don't, I don't really, I don't really do, do my job when it comes to the show. <laughs> I don't really do this so much. <laughs> I kind of phone it in. Uh, I should just literally, I should phone it in from the other room. Yeah. I should just go in my room and just call. Just put me on speaker. I'm on location from the other room. Right. Project Humanoid. This is Murder, my dude. I'm BP Burke. Then I'm Shredder. You are Shredder. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm Jackson Wells, pretending to be Shredder. Yes. The father of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He he was. Well, I mean, he created them, didn't he? It depends on the. It depends, I guess, on the which storyline you're going by. Yeah, you have the cartoon storyline, and then you have the the movie storyline, which I think was the comic book storyline. Where, well, one, Splinter is Hamato Yoshi, like in the cartoon. Yeah. And then in the movie. Yeah. In the movie, Splinter was Hamato Yoshi's rat. Right. He was the pet. And yeah, in the the cartoon, Shredder turned Hamato Yoshi into a rat with a mutagen, and then the turtles were like his pets in the sewer. I want to be a vegetable one called Tomato Yoshi. Mm. It was nice on a salad. I've been eating a lot of salads lately. Uh, So have I. I was eating cabbage and, uh, Carrots are. Yeah, you use cabbage instead of lettuce. You like make coleslaw salads. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Not not knocking it. It sounds pretty good. I like coleslaw. Yeah. Just without too. the mayonnaise? Or are you putting mayonnaise in your sauce? Because at that point you're just eating coleslaw. Um no, that'd be great. I should do that. I should put <laughs> I should... What are you eating? I'm eating a salad. <laughs> Looks like coleslaw. Oh it is. It's 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 a uh, carrot and cabbage based salad with tomato or mayonnaise. I mean dressing. technically wouldn't that be? Like it's a sad the fuck is what defines a salad anyway let's go back to tomato yoshi uh uh so the reason why i i said um i'm shredder is because i'm wearing these nifty uh, shredder sunglasses yeah you're wearing yeah i got those in a loot crate it's like a ninja turtles yeah, thing and because i'm a big boy you are a big boy yeah and it is father's day it is our fathers are dead yes they are <laughs> they are fucking dead yeah yeah so. But it's still Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to, to you to out the, there. To the alive father. fathers. Yeah, chances like are me. you'll be listening to this after Father's Day, because it's probably going to go up at like 10 o'clock tonight. Or yeah, uh, so uh, already going in with a wrestling reference, uh, there was a, uh, a thread on uh, Facebook I saw. By the way, I uh, just want to break the bad news to our faithful listeners. After episode 25, uh, we're going to try to change the format a little bit on the show. Uh, that means no more wrestling talk. Oh. Unless it's a wrestling episode, episode. right? Okay. Wrestling centric, which is the word I was going to use, but then I was like, the people listening to the show don't know that word. It's funny because I wanted to do a re- uh, we already did a wrestling centric episode, and it's the one I would most want to do a do over on. Now that we actually do show prep and stuff, well, yeah. Now that I actually do show, well, we could do wrestling stuff. too, Mister wrestling, wrestling too, too, my dude. Yeah, <laughs> the um, death of Johnny Walker. So the thread on Facebook was. 
Uh, it was like since it's Father's Day, it was like uh, dads, you know, pictures of dads with their kids that they introduced like into the business or that they got into the business. Okay. And so I posted a picture of Chris and David Benoit. Oh, boy. Well, he did. He got he him did? into the yeah. business. Is the, he wrestling now? Yeah. Like, I know he's yeah. around the business. Oh, he well, is wrestling? He, I mean, he debuted in uh, in his match in 2014. Okay. Whether or not he still wrestles uh-huh. doesn't matter. It's the, the thing was... Uh, introduced into the business yeah. and he is in, in the business, he got yeah. he got at least at some point got into the business don't know if he still wrestles or, uh, wrestles or not but here's the problem the reason I, why i just had a really bad joke go through my head and just gonna punt on it go do it uh daniel benoit was in the business for one move so the reason why i put it was because uh i'm an asshole Okay. And I was yeah. like, I want to piss. Story checks out. I want to piss some people off. And, but I also put it because it's true because yeah. he, you know, and, and why should, why should, uh, David Benoit, who did nothing, like, right? Why yeah. should he be vilified right. for his father's actions? Yes. So it's like, we're supposed to not even pay attention to David Benoit because of what Chris Benoit did. Like, especially because f- there's a segment of people who still cr- kiss Chris Benoit's ass because he was a good wrestler, yeah. even though he's a double murderer. Like, people go, oh, remember the wrestler? No, he's an awful person. David, Be- David's the, the son, right? Yeah. Yeah. David Benoit, as far as I know, is a, perfectly fine dude like you never have heard of him doing anything bad no why should he be vilified because his father was a piece of shit correct happy father's day so happy, um happy father's day david benoit no 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 oh. no 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 oh. the, fuck yeah. you david benoit no 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 we still he's whatever he's, yeah. he's around yeah so anyway i'm gonna take these shredder uh glasses off okay. but after episode 25 we're going to um gonna mature okay we're gonna mature uh so i get a little too personal sometimes in these i'm gonna i'm gonna like i'm just gonna i'm gonna just fair warning so if somebody's like hey how come there's no more wrestling references all the time unless somebody's like i like the wrestling references it'd be like what one person yeah one or two yeah tony yeah (laughs) a few yeah yeah so that's the thing. I think so. We 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 talk about Nate and we talk about Tony. We just it's like friends of the show, you know. Right. Uh, uh, but I, if, they're, if they're actually on the show, that's one thing. Like, but Tony, we are going to be doing like a crossover soon, so yeah, we, we want to plug that. Obviously, we're going to do a Crippler crossover. <laughs> Whenever I think of crossover, I think of Alan Iverson doing the crossover, stepping over like Toronto. Practice. Talk about practice. So yeah. So that's going to be after episode 25. Luckily for y'all's, this it's is episode 24. Right. It's 24. So, so we're going to try to cram in as much of that nonsense into the next episode as possible. Yeah. Okay. Irish whip. All right. Okay. Just going to call out. Yeah. I have, Chris, I have Chris Benoit's list. Arm drag. Yeah. I have Chris Jericho's list. Or Chris. Did I say Chris you Benoit? Chris Benoit. That's yeah. a shorter list. Yeah. Flying yeah. headbutt. Um, Cribbler crossface. Murder. 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 Well, he murdered with the crippler crossface, apparently. Yeah, Bible. Bible. Thump. <laughs> the um, Bible thump. Oh, no. That's a horrible. That's a junkyard dog move. Yeah. That's like, you know, like the curb stomp, he has the Bible the thump. The Bible thump, yeah. Hmm. The uh, hang yourself on your Bowflex. Right. That was his final. That was it. That was literally his finisher. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think that's enough. Bad Chris Benoit jokes. Yeah. It was the neck breaker. Maybe not, a, maybe not enough bad Chris Benoit jokes. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, it is Father's Day. So what I try to do, God, is Nancy was so fucking sexy too. Woman, yeah. 
Oh God, she, she was, was a so good funny. manager too. To kind of really just dovetail right into wrestling. Yeah, she was a very underrated manager. She uh, she just seemed like you wanted to hate her when she was with, like Ric Flair and Doom. She, and, you know, she always seemed like I wanted to have sex with her. Well, that, there was that too, but she she really came off as, like playing a villain well. Right. Like a, a uh, like I guess a temptress and a mastermind. Temptress. I love it. She was Robin Green. Mm. And she she was pretending to be Rick Steiner's girlfriend. But nonetheless, that has nothing to do with Father's Day or the three cases we'll be discussing today. And the first one, we're going to go way back to 1991. Speaking of that, Father's Day and 1991, that was the first Father's Day where my father was dead. He died in February of 1991. Um, but this is the Father's Day Massacre, the Father's Day Bank Massacre more specifically. And we are going to go to Denver, Colorado for this. And Ooh. Father's Day. Home of two cold Scorpio and <laughs> jamming all those wrestling episodes. Vader. Well, you still can, are you? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, so it's time. It is. It's Father's Day time. It's time. Well, the time for this uh, this story is going to start at 9.14 a.m. on Father's Day 1991, I believe it was June 16. 14, was that time? No, I was born 9.27. I was like, was that my... 9.14 is the, the date, uh, September 14th. That was my parents' anniversary. Oh. That was also Lachlan's due date. Your oldest son. Yes. Okay. That's Yes, that, that is my oldest son. Yes. Yep. And so a guard... At the Denver, Colorado United Bank Tower. United Bank is now part of Wells Fargo, like most old banks are, apparently. So then all the banks around us, like, it was back in the day, it was like core states, and then it became uh, First Union, and then it became Wachovia, and now it's Wells Fargo. Uh, United Bank was a bank out of Colorado, and, and they're now Wells Fargo. And a, a guard at Co- uh, Denver, Colorado's United Bank Tower, William McCullum Jr., Got a routine call at 9.14 a.m. on Father's Day 1991 from a man claiming to be a vice president of the company requesting to be admitted into the building through a side door. Obviously, it's a Sunday. Father's Day is always on a Sunday. So it's a little odd that a VP is going to be on on Sunday. But nonetheless, uh, McCollum goes down to meet him, but is instead met by an armed man who forced William McCollum Jr. to take him to a sub-basement of the bank. Once there, the gunman shot and killed McCollum hid his body in a storage room, and stole his key card. Bank policy, it's important to know for this story, bank policy prohibits guns from the building, and that means even the guards were unarmed in this building. Mm. So the guards have nothing. They, they, they might have had like a billy club or something, I don't know. So five, five so, so real quick, just to stop you, that's... Uh it's funny that you say that my dad was... a. Uh, that was the last actual job he had. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, he was a security guard and he got fired because he, so at the place that he worked at, it was like a family f- weird ass fucking thing. It was down at the fruit and produce center in Philly. Uh-huh. I worked there. My dad worked there. My stepdad worked there. My mom worked there and my dad's sister worked there. Oh, wow. Yeah. We all worked at various places and, you know. Yeah, and so not like, all at the same exact place. Either, right, right, yeah. But it was all within the same complex. Uh-huh. Actually, my mom and my aunt were both waitresses at the same restaurant. Okay. My stepdad worked at, like, some fruit and produce place, a lot, like, you know, somewhere there. Mm-hmm. My dad was, yeah, security, and I worked somewhere else. Um, My dad was uh, sitting in this thing, he in his little security box, and um, a truck comes in. 
and somehow my dad gets in an argument with the guy and the guy is threatening my dad. He had like a, like a baseball bat or something like that. My dad. So as a security guard is not allowed to have a gun on him. Right. That was, that's the policy. Mm -hmm. But my dad had a uh, concealed carry permit. Right. So we always had his gun on him anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. Guys threatened my dad, my dad fucking, but the, now the guy has a, like this bat or whatever it was, but he has it behind the door and he's threatening my dad. Apparently on camera, you can't really see the angle, right? So you can't right. see what the guy has. Mm-hmm. Guys threaten my dad, my dad pulls his gun out, my dad gets fired. Right. Because yeah, he's not policy is the guards don't carry guns. Right. Yeah. My dad said, you know, he's going to argue. My dad was so argumentative and he was going to argue that, well, you know, I, it's my right to carry. And it's like mm-hmm. not how it works. Right. Yeah. It's your right to carry, but not when you're employed, not on their premises. Right. Right. If it says like you can't you cannot carry a gun into a mall. Yes. But see, people will argue, well, it's a public mall. and You should be able to. No, it's a private mall. It's a it's owned by the person who owns that mall. And they can decide to admit whoever they want into it. Right. That's why, like, security can kick you out if right. they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's not a public mall. It's not... The government doesn't own, yes. you know, own it. Uh, it's not a public park. Right. I don't even think... I- I'm not even okay with Yeah, Yeah, people. I'm not sure what the rules on public parks either, yeah. Who, who, I don't know what, what these... What the rules are, but yeah. It's funny. It reminded me of that. It's, but, but at the same time, when you don't have a gun, you know, if you're security... Like, I'm okay with... With security, but uh, having guns, but go through some fucking like rigorous training and, right. you know, make sure that there's mental health checks and, mm-hmm. you know, background checks. And they go through, like I said, like rigorous uh, training to make sure that these people are o- okay to carry a gun. Right. Because right. I don't want just some crazy fucking guy down the street who get, can get a job being a security guard having a gun. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, so. All right. So we're going so, back to this. Uh, we actually go five hours before William McCullum Jr. got. Oh, I like it. It's like it's like in a like five hours earlier. Yeah, we're doing this in medias rest. Yeah, uh, five hours before this, around four o'clock a.m. that uh, that morning, four o'clock that morning, an alarm went off in a storage room in the building. A guard turned off the alarm, but reported nothing suspicious at the time. By the way, uh huh. I won't be cutting you off anymore after episode twenty-five with these personal stories. Okay. Yeah. So people, somebody's gonna be like, yay. This show is going to be like 20 minutes long. Oh, no. <laughs> and 15 of it's going to be Who Died the Worst, your favorite segment. Ooh. Is that going away on episode 25? <laughs> <Please> stay tuned. <laughs> uh, so a guard turned off the alarm but reported nothing suspicious. It's unknown to this day whether that had anything to do with the events that happened later, though. After killing McCullum, the robber went on to weave his way through a network of tunnels and eventually made his way up one floor to the bank's basement, and that's the floor where the vault was also located. Mm-hmm. Along the way, an alarm was set off in a stairwell around 9.20 a.m., but it's unclear whether or not that was, like, intentionally set off or not, because where the robber went next was the basement guard station. And there he um, forced his way on the two more unarmed guards, Philip Mankoff and Scott McCarthy, and they were they were forced into another room and shot and killed. So he's just systematically executing the guards. And the reason I said that may have been an intentional alarm is while he's killing... Philip Mankoff and Scott McCarthy, a third guard comes into the room, Todd Wilson, and he's killed too. And police investigating uh, later noted that this robber was very, very good at covering his tracks. 
Any prints he may have left were wiped down. The bullet casings from the shots he's firing, he's picking up the bullet casings that land on the floor. And he was also a crack shot. 17 of his 18 shots hit the mark. He fired 18 shots in there and only missed once. And then when he's done clearing out the guard room and all three of those extra guards are killed, he stole 10 videotapes from the security camera bank. He took bank keys. He took a walkie-talkie. And he ripped out a few pages of the guard's logbook. So this guy knows what he's doing. This isn't a guy who just decided out of nowhere to rob a bank. Right. This guy is smart. He is... Sexy? Well, not really. Oh. Uh, we'll get into what he looked like a little bit later. Um, but yeah, he's he's doing things in a way that he knows what he's doing. And he's very good at what he's doing. Everything done in the guard room now, the robber proceeds to the bank vault. And at this point, it's 9.48 a.m. So it's about uh, a half hour, a little more than a half hour since he called the first guard saying it was a VP. And uh, got in that way. And now he's headed toward the vault. All the guards on the floor are dead. He's killed four guards already. He's going to the vault. And there he finds several bank employees, including senior vault manager David Barranco. They were processing cash deliveries, and the robber ordered them to fill a bag he had brought with him, filling it up with cash. Because they're already counting the money. The money's there. He's filling up the bag. The robber then forced Barranco and the other employees into a small room that was attached to the vault called a man trap. Uh, a man trap. Is- <laughs> There's a million jokes there. Go yeah. ahead. Go. Do you have any? Any? No, like okay. to share with the class. No, it's okay. Um, so the man trap has an auto locking door on each side to trap potential robbers, and the employees are in there. So he kind of puts them in there and then leaves the real way. It- it's basically designed to trap people in there. That's why it's called a man trap. And the employees, it wasn't a very good man trap. They found a broken spoon in the door sill. And they were able to use it to escape the room in about 20 minutes, but at that point, the perpetrator was already gone. Uh, so just to kind of recap here, the only evidence that was remaining... <laughs> to recap? Recap. Thank you. Um, the only evidence that was remaining once the robber had left were the 17 bullets they found inside the guards. Mm. Like, he picked up the spent casings, but the bullets are obviously inside of them. And what they found was many of these bullets were from different manufacturers. It wasn't just one bullet. Like, one type of bullet. Right, right. Like, it was a bunch of different ones. Uh, the eyewitness accounts from pe- uh, employees in the vault said that the man was in his, uh, a white male in his late 50s or 60s. He wore a gray sport coat, a white shirt, a blue or bluish gray slacks. I don't know why I said A there. I think it was going for a tie, but he wore blue or bluish gray slacks. He wore a colorful necktie, a brown fedora, mirrored sunglasses, and had a bandage on his left cheek. Okay. And... So, yeah, his disguise is basically he wore uh, a hat and sunglasses. And, and I think he, they may have had, like, fake facial hair, they think. They, they're not sure. Or real facial hair. But some some type of facial hair. But police focused in more on the stranger aspects of everything. Just under $200,000 was stolen. Uh, but over $2 million was in the bank vault. So we didn't even get a tenth of the money that was in there. The bag that he brought in wasn't even completely full when he left. So they started thinking, like, was he just trying to kill these guards and the robbery was just, like, an extra part of it or what? Right. Uh, police were also confused as to why the guards were murdered when they weren't even armed, but the vault workers just put in this man trap. Why did he kill the guards but not kill them if the problem was he didn't want to leave witnesses? The bag, like I, I, I think I said, the bag wasn't even completely full, so he could have even had more money in that bag than the two. Uh, I think we wound up being, like, $183,000 he stole. The different type of bullets that were used and how good of a shot he was made them think that this guy was 
possibly a, a law enforcement person, like a cop or just somebody who was around that stuff, because police departments at that time had these things called ammo buckets, and they would just basically take all these guns and stuff they were seizing from criminals on the extra ammunition, they would put them in these buckets, so they thought maybe this cop was take, take maybe a cop or an ex-cop that had access to it, took ammo from an ammo bucket and used that in the crime. And the perpetrator's knowledge of the layout of the bank, because he knew where it was going once he got in there, that made them think that he worked in that building before. Like he was either a current employee or perhaps an ex-employee that was also an ex-cop or a current cop. And with all these kind of things put together, they zeroed in on James King, a retired police officer who worked as a part-time guard in that, that, that building from 1986 to 1990. Wasn't that a uh, blonde actress? Yeah, and then she changed her name to Jamie King. Yeah, James King was, uh, she was in that movie Slackers, I think we brought it up like in the last yeah. episode. Yeah. yeah, wait, was it James first and then Jamie or Jamie yeah. first and then James? I think she started as James and she was like a model and then she got an act and became Jamie King. Okay. And, uh, but this is James King. Different person. Different person. He left his job at the bank about 10 months before this happened, and he had declared bankruptcy in 1987, so they knew he was kind of having financial problems, and he had had about $25,000 in credit card debt in 1991 when this, when this was all going down. And eyewitness testimony, which, if you've been paying attention to this show and the crime in general, you know, is historically very unreliable. Uh, eyewitness testimony was a big part of the pro- prosecution's case, and five of the six witnesses that were in the vault picked uh, King's photo out of a lineup, but King's defense pointed out that they had only picked him out after police had drawn a hat and sunglasses over the faces. Like, mm. they showed them the regular lineup, and they were like, no, don't see him. So they drew a hat and sunglasses on all the pictures, and they're like, oh, it's five of the six were saying it was him. And they picked out James King. Okay. And in the trial, the defense presented a picture of another man with a hat and sunglasses drawn on him, and none of the six witnesses could identify the person in the picture, because they were showing how, like, it can really change your perception. And that person that was in the picture was Harrison Ford. Mm. So they were like, yeah, then obviously this isn't very reliable. They can't even see Harrison Ford because they drew a hat and glasses on him. So circumstantial, circumstantial evidence was high in the case. Uh, King was a registered owner of a 38 Colt Cooper, but claimed he had thrown it away long ago because its cylinder cracked, and that was consistent with the gun that was used. He had shaved off his mustache and upgraded to a larger safe deposit box shortly after the robbery, but they found that the box was empty. The alibi he had was a little sketchy, too. He was he claimed he was playing a chess match at the Capitol Hill Community Center because he was part of the Denver Chess Club, but when they contacted the Denver Chess Club, they found out that they hadn't had anything at that place for years. So the place he said he was playing chess at, the chess club just, it had been forever since they had been there. But the lack of any physical evidence linking King to the crimes was damning for the prosecution, even more so uh, because they had a neighbor of King's that testified that she had seen him mowing his lawn at the time that the bank robbery was happening, and that she'd even waved to him and wished him Happy Father's Day. Hmm. And the other thing that they said, like, it couldn't have been uh, James King, was that the man trap that the the uh, the robber knew to put the bank employees in hadn't been installed until after he stopped working there. So it's a 53-hour deliberation, and James King was eventually found not guilty. And the FBI watched over him for the rest of his life. They tried to find something they could charge him with, kind of like what they did with OJ. Right. We're like, okay, we're just going to... we we. 
we think he did this, but he got away with it, so we're just going to try to hit him on something. They did the same thing with uh, James King, but they never had a chance to do anything with him. The thing is, if he did have that $183,000, he didn't use it all much. He never left the house he was living in. He lived, like they said, like a pauper for the rest of his life. He was never buying anything extravagant. No new cars, no new nothing. And he never was charged with anything else, but he did die of dementia in May of 2013. Hmm. And while no one else was ever charged with the crime, two other suspects did come to light. There was a man named Dewey Calvin Baker who had told the media he killed the four guards, but later said he didn't do it. So he confessed, and and I know we said earlier, eyewitness testimony very unreliable. So are confessions. Right. Like We know about the confession tapes. And- yeah. In fact, those are the two most common reasons people are found guilty of crimes they didn't commit. It's because of a uh, an incorrect and con- like a false confession. That's number two, and number one is uh, poor eyewitness testimony. The second suspect was a guy named Paul Yoakum. He was another former guard at the bank. He was initially suspected of something in 1990 where somebody stole... Stole? What the hell is wrong with me? I said stole. Somebody stole $30,000 from a United Bank ATM on Memorial Day weekend in 1990. He was tried for that because he was the suspect, but he was found not guilty. He had no alibi for the Father's Day robbery, though, and an investigation of his apartment found handcuffs... Various types of guns and ammunition. Again, there were various types of ammo used in the uh, in the shootings. They found a police scanner, speed loaders, dummy grenades, and replica police badges. But they didn't really find any evidence that he was the one that committed the crime. And police, anyway, remain convinced to this day that they know who did it. It was James King, and he just was he got off like that. That's where they're at. A private investigator that was hired by Paul Yoakum came up with another theory that whomever had really stolen the $30,000 from the ATM was responsible for the uh, the robbery. And th- there was a pattern there of them hitting pl- like banks and ATMs on a holiday weekend when deposits are going to pile up. Even though that doesn't really make sense to me because it's not like Father's Day is a holiday where people get off work or anything. And it's not like a three-day weekend like Memorial Day. It would be like if it was a Labor Day robbery, it would make more but sense. But it should be. It's a Sunday. A lot of people are off anyway. We like, should be off the next day. <laughs> the day after Father's Day? Yeah. So the ignored 4 a.m. alarm and the ease with which the perpetrator got into the building also led to a theory that there was an inside man helping. And more specifically, that one of those four guards that was murdered was in on the whole thing, and they got double-crossed, and whoever it was shot them. That's just another theory. Nobody really knows. If it was James King, he took it to his grave. But that is the Father's Day bank massacre of 1991. And so we're going to go all the way across the globe now. We're going to go to Australia. Good day. And um, the tradition of Father's Day falling on the third Sunday in June is pretty widespread. Uh, obviously, that's the way it is here in the United States. But it's also the third Sunday in June in the UK, China, India, South Africa, a lot of different places. However, uh, in Australia, New Zealand, like that little, I think they call it Oceana. Mm. In that area, it's the first Sunday of September. So Australia is in the fall. Australia is around like when we're celebrating Labor Day. It's like Day. when uh, Canadians do their goofy Thanksgiving like a month before us. It's well, it like- makes sense because Thanksgiving's supposed to be the harvest, and it's when you're you're done, like your crops are done growing because it's colder up there. Yeah. It's earlier in the year. Yes, I get it. Um, but it's just it it's just weird. And then we moved Thanksgiving too. I think like I think Lincoln was the one that made it the fourth Thursday of every. Yeah, there was a yeah thing. But, yeah, so for, for Australia, it's the first Sunday of September. 
So around Labor Day, I said the fall, but it's like uh, technically late summer. But I think the seasons are flipped there, so that's their winter. Okay. And uh, for all of you, the Father's Day has had a black cloud hanging over for nearly 15 years. And it goes back to Robert Farperson, which is a hard name to say. So we're going to be calling him Robert a lot. <laughs> Robert Farquharson and uh, Cindy Gambino. Oh, she's so childish. Met in February of 1990 as Gambino was coming off the death of a previous boyfriend in a car accident. The two later married and Robert... Fucking Black Widow. I... No. no. Not quite. Oh. Uh, the two married and Robert took a buyout from his job in 1996 using the money to start a lawn mowing business. The couple had three sons, Jai, Tyler, and Bailey, between 1995 and 2003. But ultimately, they decided to separate in 2004. I believe it was Cindy's idea. I think she was the one that kind of initiated the separation. I think it was Jan. I think it was Marsha. And uh, Robert wound up moving back with his father, but he did see his children regularly, including on Father's Day 2005. I call that Far Hawkerson's Day. Far Harkerson? Far how the fuck do you say Farquharson? that name? Farquharson? I, I believe it's Farquharson. Farquharson. Far I think F-A-R-Q-U-H-A-R is Farquhar, so it'll be Farquharson. Farquhar? Yeah, I believe so. Really? That's Farquhar? Or in Australia, probably Farquhar. 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 It sounds so dirty. <laughs> Go ahead. On Father's Day 2005, which had fallen on the 1st of September that year, 22-year-old Shane Atkinson was celebrating for the first time as a father. In fact, he and his girlfriend had taken their child home from the hospital for the first time that day. While driving from his home to his girlfriend's to see her and the new baby, Shane noticed a man running along the side of the road headed toward his car. And his initial reaction was, what the fuck are you doing? Mm. <laughs> like, this is what he told the, uh, this is what he told the Sydney Morning Herald. That's who he was speaking to. This is, uh, part of the research I got from this was a newspaper for, uh, article from the Sydney Morning Herald. He later was uh, afraid of this guy because he was acting so weird and running along the side of a road like where he could get hit. He was afraid the guy was suicidal. And that was something that was really, really um, dear to him because he had recently lost his brother to suicide. So that was something he was like very sensitive to. So he pulls over. Shane pulls over and notices the man is clearly out of sorts. The man on the side of the road is yelling, oh, no, fuck, what have I done? And he just kept on saying he killed his kids. It's over and over again. He's saying he killed his kids. Uh, Shane later told the Sydney Morning Herald, quote, he has to go home and tell Sid Cindy he killed his kids, and he just kept saying, fuck, what have I done? So in case you haven't realized, the man on the side of the road is Robert Farquharson. And, uh, say that name again. Farquharson. Oh, okay. And Shane had actually recognized him for being the guy who would mow lawns around, like he was the guy that did the lawn mowing business. Uh, he, he eventually, Robert eventually told Shane that he had blacked out having a coughing fit while driving and he woke up and found himself in his car, chest deep in water and struggling to breathe. Shane wanted to call an ambulance or call the police, but Robert repeated over and over again. Shane says up to a hundred times, like he lost count, but it could have been as many as a hundred times that Robert just said he wanted to talk to Cindy. He wanted to talk to Cindy and Shane and Shane's friend who was in the car with him even offered to jump into the nearby dam where his car had crashed to look for the kids and try to rescue the kids. But it was just, I want to talk to Cindy. I want to talk to Cindy. Ultimately, Shane gave in, and he drove Robert to his old home in Winchelsea, where his ex-wife lived. And Shane later called that the worst mistake he's ever made in his life. Hmm. And later that night, police were called in, and they found Robert had crashed through a fence on a stretch of highway 
between Winchelsea, which is where he lived, and Geelong in Victoria, Australia. The car stopped once it landed in a dam that was on a farm, and the car took on water and eventually went under. In the middle of the night, around 2 a.m., divers found the bodies of 10-year-old Jai Farquharson and his younger brothers Tyler, who was 7, and Bailey, who was only 2. And um, the boys had gotten out of their seatbelts, and they managed to get the 2-year-old free of his seatbelt, but they couldn't get out of the car. Uh, the oldest one, Jai, had gotten halfway out the front door, but then he drowned. Mm. And uh, the younger brothers were still in the back seat. Not buying the passing out story, police pressed Robert, and they arrested him and charged him with three counts of murder. His ex-wife, Cindy Gambino, spoke out on her ex-husband's behalf. Uh, she did an interview with Woman's Day, Woman's Day Australia, and she, um, she said, I believe with all my heart that this was an accident and that he would not have hurt a hair on their heads. I don't believe that this is murder. She later then said, like, after that article, that she believes he did murder their children. Road safety experts agreed. Uh, they had large doubts about Robert's story. The car, which had a tendency to veer to the right normally, would have had to have taken an incredibly sharp left turn to go from where it went off the road to settle in the dam. There was no evidence that the operator of the vehicle had lost control. In fact, it looked like it was a very precise move, and they were like going right for the dam. The um, ignition, headlights, and heater were all turned off and when the, when the car was recovered, so nothing was still turned on. So if his story is true, he woke up and was like, well, oh shit, I'm chest deep in water. Let me turn off the ignition and turn off the lights and turn off the heat. And uh, doctors too doubted the story. And, and one doctor said, while it's quite common for coughing to cause dizzy spells or lightheadedness. I mean, I've done that when I've had like the flu or something. I've coughed a lot, like I've gotten dizzy or lightheaded. I've never passed out from coughing. Have you? Um, I've never passed out from coughing, but there's been times where I've been laughing and almost passed out. But I almost passed out at the coffee shop, which actually. So here's what happened. I couldn't breathe. And so like something happened. I don't know if I was coughing. I don't know what it was, but I was just talking mm -hmm. And sometimes I could just be talking and not catch my breath and then not like I'm not able to breathe. And right. then I have a panic attack. Right. Um, I remember like one time just laughing a lot. Like I was laughing so much and I just couldn't breathe that I was and I I felt like I was going to pass out. Mm -hmm. So I believe that he you could cough enough to where you just like you're not able to breathe and you're going to pass out. Yeah, I absolutely 100 I 100% I, I believe that. And it, and and, that's, and that condition has never called, happened to me. Right. I've I've never actually passed out from right. it. I've never actually passed out. Like, well, no, I haven't either. Yeah. But I've been close, and and uh, and it's like I I start like grabbing stuff and like right. shaking, you know, like kind of like so in my head I'm like, come on, like fucking stay awake, you know, like yeah. like snap out of it basically. But coughing so severe that it causes prolonged unconsciousness is something called cough syncope. And it's so incredibly rare to a, it's to a point where some doctors question whether it actually happens. And uh, police who initially responded to I the case that don't, night. I don't. I Hold on. I don't agree with that only because I know how close I was to passing out just from talking. And, you know, and if I'm coughing and like, like I said, this, and, and laughing, it's happened laughing, too, where I almost passed out. Right. So am I this, am I like, maybe I'm just in the fucking... But almost passing out and passing out are two different things. And, and, and maybe you think you're, especially if you're having a panic attack, 
like everything's heightened at that point. You might think you're about to pass out. But no, you're really right. Not. It's the other way. Oh, the panic attack comes later. Yes, okay. panic attack com- comes after. Okay. Um, I just didn't pass out because I'm stronger. Okay. You're stronger than this man. Yeah. Farquharson. Right. So, yeah. And, uh, and police who initially responded to them that night noted when they were talking with Robert and around him for hours and hours, he didn't cough once. I mean, BP, by the way. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Uh, so he... he he must have gotten it out of his system because when they were talking to him for hours and hours and hours at night, he didn't even cough. And Greg King, a friend of Robert's, uh, testified in their in, in Robert's trial. So wait a minute. So because he didn't cough again, we're just saying that's something that they found suspicious. I I don't find it suspicious. Greg, I don't find that suspicious. I, I think he probably fucking did it. I think he's lying, but I think it's very possible at the same time right. to cough and. Not be able to just because I know that it, you and know. If you're having a coughing fit that bad, pull over until you stop coughing. That might be a better idea, too. Yeah, but you don't really think that. Yeah. Uh, Greg King. is going to happen. Greg King, a friend of Robert's, said that he remembered a conversation the two had months before at a fish and chip shop where Robert complained about his wife getting the nicer possessions in their breakup, including their home. And then he said at that point he would take away the things that mean the most to her. Mm. Okay. So this guy is—he's got this planned out in his head. If, if Greg King is to if be Greg, believed, yes. Yeah. Witnesses for the defense included one of Robert's doctors, who argued, kind of like you, that passing out while coughing is likelier than the prosecution had argued, and that Robert was a prime candidate for it because he did have some breathing issues. Uh, a former police superintendent claimed that the grade on that road that they were driving down meant that the turn wouldn't have been as sharp as the prosecution suggested. I believe it was a two hundred twenty degree turn, which is almost all the way around by the way i want fish and chips now yeah that's not good um but after three days of deliberation robert farkerson was found guilty okay oh no the wheel would have had to been turned like almost all the way around for the turn that he made according to the prosecution the witnesses said it would have been like a halfway around turn um so robert farkerson was found guilty however an appeals board unanimously overturned his conviction in 2009 their ruling focused on issues they had with the judge, uh, the prosecution, and in particular, they they were kind of iffy on Greg King's testimony. Uh, one of the reasons why is Greg King's own wife said she had never heard about this conversation. Like, if if Robert Farquharson told Greg King that, Greg, T- Greg King didn't tell his wife that. Right. Okay, so, my, uh, and, here, this is, yeah. a, you know what I mean? Like, right. so why? So Greg didn't fucking come and tell you every time he farted, uh, right. Lori, whatever the fuck her name is. Uh, like, who gives a shit? Greg doesn't need to come and tell you every fucking uh, right. conversation he has with Farouk. What was his name? Robert. What's his last name? Farquharson. Whatever. Fuck it. Farquharson. Fuck. Fark- Nate Marquardson. Uh like I don't understand that. That's just that's so silly to me. Well, you know, we we have a we have an issue with the judge. <laughs> uh, we don't like him. Uh, and Greg, I don't know. His wife never said anything. Yeah. Like, or he never said anything to his wife about this guy. Maybe he didn't say anything because it wasn't anything. He didn't think he was going. Oh, hey, by the way, Robert's going to go and kill the fucking kids in a few months. Right. And just fucking who gives a shit that he didn't tell his fucking wife. Now, in the United States, if an appeals board overturns a conviction, that's it. Like, that's it. Like, you're out. You're free. Not in Australia. 
that when an over a conviction is overturned in Australia, it's uh, the person is retried, and well, sometimes an appeals board in the state the United States will give you a new trial too. But with this, uh, with this, Farquharson was retried and again found guilty, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment with a thirty-three year minimum sentence. So he is now in prison and will be for at least another at least another twenty four years. Probably longer. And attempts to explain Robert Farquharson's action generally actions generally cast blame on his history of mental illness. Uh he does suffer from uh he's been diagnosed with depression and also with avoidant personality disorder. It's a condition which results in those suffering being socially inhibited, lacking confidence and being plagued with feelings of inadequacy, inadequacy and with hypersensitivity to criticism. And Sounds like me. Sounds like me. Um, Sounds like us. So, uh, he, uh, they, they think it just might have been a mental break, like just losing. Welcome to the Robert Farquharson podcast. <laughs> well, just don't kill, don't, don't kill children. We, we are not child killers here. No. And so that's, that's case number two. Case number three is Marie Robards. And this is like a great. Oh, man. I loved, I loved her in all those cool movies. I don't know who you're going for. It's Jason Robards. Oh, okay. Um, Jason. This is like a greatest hits true crime case. There have been podcasts about Marie Robards. There have been, like, it's been on a bunch of those uh, investigation discovery shows. There have been books about it. And it's, um, it's an interesting one. Much like uh, the Farquharson children, Dorothy Marie Robards was a child of divorce. The Robards divorced when their daughter was four, and Marie, she always went by her middle name, Marie, lived with her mother almost exclusively. Have you ever known anybody that, like, they just went by their middle name? Yeah. Like, if I was P. Burke? Yeah. Patrick. Patrick Burke? Yeah. Yeah, I have an aunt that did that. Yeah, there, there's some people that do, and it's it's strange yeah so yeah, strange my aunt does it like i it i was like 20 25 years old before i knew i thought i knew that my one aunt's name wasn't the name i always called her right yeah like um so my family as you know some of them are the written houses mm-hmm. my great great whatever grandma her name was ella rittenhouse right but and I, I, that's of the Rittenhouse family and feel like Rittenhouse Square and all that yep. shit, like all the Richie fucking people. Um, but Ella's real name was like, it was something like Mary Ella Rittenhouse or something like that. You know yeah. what I mean? It was, it was one of those deals where like she like, went by middle name. I think it was her. Like Mary was so common. She just became Ella or something like that. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know what the reason was, but, but I, I think, I think that it was Ella Rittenhouse that went by. Uh, her middle name instead of, but but I know that that's been in my family. Like I'll see that in my family. Uh-huh. I'm like, what the hell? That's so strange. Yeah, to I guess me. it's more common than you think. It I mean, like me going by Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Call and, me Tom. All right, Tom. Uh, so Marie, don't call me Tom anymore. All right, I'm gonna. I I'm, said don't. I'm gonna keep calling Marie Robards. Marie, Ro- Marie Robards, even though her first name is Dorothy. Well, she wants to go by Marie. Yes. So she's living with her mother exclusively after the after the breakup when she's four. Stephen Robards. By the way, wouldn't you go by fucking Marie if your name yeah, was, was Dorothy? Dorothy? Yeah, absolutely. As, especially this is around this is around the late eighties, early nineties. I'm definitely going by Marie and not Dorothy. Yeah, and or or it could be Dot or Dotty. Dot. 
That's so weird. Why? How do you get Dot out of Dorothy? How do you just, hey, we're going to take out the row. How about Dor? You could just be Dor. It wouldn't be, it would be Doro. Doro. Yeah, I'm Doro. Doro is a Dole. cool fucking name now. Doro, Doro. Robards. <laughs> no, we're sticking with Marie. Stephen Doe. Rob- I would call her Doe. Stephen Robards, Marie's father, battled severe mental illness and hadn't quite gotten his life together at that point. So it was seen as the best option for everybody involved if uh, Marie stayed with her mother. And Marie and her mother, Beth, forged a really tight bond. They were inseparable. They were like sisters, basically. A year after the divorce... Scissor sisters, even. Mm, I wouldn't go that far. Oh. A year after the divorce, Beth married Frank Burroughs, a former naval officer whom Beth had met while still married to Stephen. Stephen was also in the Navy. Uh, but they And Beth and Frank uh, Burroughs have said there was nothing between us before the breakup, but once... Marie was single, or yeah, once Beth was single, I should say. We Marie were was, fucking all the time. Yeah, it was, well, not not Marie. Marie was like five anal. at this point. Lots no, of anal. No, oh. no, no. Like Beth, uh, Frank was recently divorced, and he had a son of his own from a previous marriage. As Marie grew older, her relationship with her stepfather grew tense. Frank uh, Frank Burroughs was incredibly strict, and he held close to his rules. Mm. One of the big rules, because it was a, a blended family, both of the the husband and wife came in with a child of their own. It was like the Brady Bunch, but with two kids instead of six. Mm-hmm. One of the rules so was nothing like the Brady Bunch. Did they? Did they have an Alice? No. Okay. One of the did rules, they have though, a Sam? No. Okay, then it's nothing like the Brady Bunch. You're right. One of the rules was that if uh, one of the children, when they got older, decided they wanted to leave the house, they could, but it was a one way trip, and they would not be welcomed back. Oh, so they were fucking Amish? <laughs> no, they, no. The Amish give you the Rumspringa. They, yeah, but if you choose, yeah, to, then you're shunned. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. But they are I'm talking is, after the rum, yeah. shri- rum springer. Yeah. It but, always reminded me of uh, how come nobody's ever done like rum shaker, but with rum springer instead. <laughs> well, who, who are you going to market it to? Amish? They're not going to buy music. Oh, oh, really? Because we didn't love Amish Paradise in the true, fucking yeah. '90s. That is very true. So the rule was: if you move out, you stay out. And Frank thought that was a very necessary thing to keep the family together uh, because it's so hard to keep the family yeah, like that together. Yeah, we want to keep this family together so much that we want to kick you out. Well, no, no. It's, if it, you leave. It was yeah, it was more to kind of intimidate them into not leaving. Right, but what happens if they do leave? Let's get to that. Oh, okay. And <laughs> and he, and he Frank did hold to this because uh, there was he had some problems with his son. His son wanted to go move with his mother after they had a fight, mm-hmm. and a little while later, the son wanted to move back, and Frank said, nope, stay with your mom. So he stuck to it. Mm-hmm. And it's believed that Marie's issues with Frank really started uh, from her feelings that he was taking her mother away from her. Like, uh, he, she was getting less close with her mom because of Frank. And then it really boiled over just before Marie's 16th birthday. I like when they bake over. Well, you can do that, I guess, if you put too much in the thing and it goes over before it can fully, like, fir- get firm. But they, it really reached a fever pitch when Marie was about that to turn 16. That was a good movie. I like Jimmy Fallon in that. Not the original? No. Nah, I wasn't a fan of the original. You're not an Arsenal fan? Mm. So right before Marie's 16th birthday, she had gone out with friends one night and came home early to find her stepfather with another woman. Oh. Scandalous. Mm. Incensed, Marie pleaded with her Incest. mother. Incest? Oh. Incensed. Oh. Oh, Angry. God, that smells delicious. That's incense. Oh. 
Very mm. angry, mm. Marie pleaded with her father to divorce Frank. I don't know words. Pleaded with, pleaded with her mother, I think. I said her, her father. No, her father was not married to Frank. <laughs> this well, was 1990. Wasn't legal then. Yeah, this was like 1992-ish. Yeah, he couldn't do that. Yeah. Wanted to, but didn't. <laughs> well, maybe. She she pleaded with her mother to divorce Frank, but but Beth blamed herself for Frank cheating. She worked long hours working in an emergency room. Did you just call her the Beth? I thought I said butt Beth, but I say the oh, Beth. Oh, you should say no, no, no. You should just call her the Beth. She's from the now Beth, on. yeah. The Beth was working long hours in an ER, and she blamed her busy schedule for her husband being uh being a cheater for his mm. infidelity. Ah, and American so- infidels. <laughs> So Marie became very withdrawn. She increasingly just, even. Yeah. And she eventually demanded that her mother divorce Frank. Yeah. When Beth maintained the Beth. when the Beth maintained that she was staying in the marriage, Marie asked to move out. Which again, it's a one way trip. What about Donnie? Did he ask to move out? There was no Don I don't I don't know. I couldn't find maybe Frank's son was Donnie. Hmm. I don't think these are the Osmonds though. Okay. Respect- well, they're sure not the Brady's. We know that. Yeah, we- yeah, there's no Alice, there's no Sam, right. there's no Cousin Oliver. Yeah. Maybe there is a Cousin Oliver. There could be. Respecting the decision, Beth arranged for Marie to live with her parents, uh, so Marie's grandparents in Fort Worth, and even got her enrolled in school there. Is that Texas or Florida? This is Texas. Texas. Fort Worth, Texas. There's also, I think, a Fort Worth, no, Fort Wayne, Indiana, but yeah, Fort Worth is in Texas. Is there a Fort Worth, Florida? There may be. There should be. And so... Five days after Marie moves in with uh, her grandparents, she used all the money she had left to take a, a uh, cab back to her mother's house. She should have just got an Uber. They didn't have Uber back then. Again, this is the early 90s and oh. Uber, cab, same difference. It's basically the same thing. And so the Beth meets up with Frank and Frank just doesn't... Do you think their their cab driver told him cheesy jokes like our Uber driver told us yesterday? Maybe. What no. was the joke? I don't remember. Oh, something about, um, like, sticking your hand up a horse's ass or something? Yeah, it was some kind of Amish joke. Yeah. You, like, checking the oil or something? I don't even know what the hell the joke... I didn't get the joke. Okay. I didn't get it. It's just like, what do you what do you call a, something like an Amish with a... Uh, an Amish person with a hand up a horse's yeah, ass? Yeah, a mechanic. A mechanic, that was it. Yeah. yeah. I was like, ah, Okay. Yeah. I should have asked to get out then. It was right by the Chinese buffet. <laughs> That's why I wanted to get out. <laughs> that and the joke, but go ahead. So yeah, five days after Marie goes to live with the grandparents, she takes a cab back to the Beth and Frank's house. But Frank refuses to relent on his long-standing rule that when the children leave, they're gone. And he's like, no, she can't come back. And at this point, he was red hot. <laughs> Frank was red hot, yes. And again, well, Marie was more red hot than Frank. Oh. Frank was just like, I'm putting my foot down. She can't come back. Yeah. Marie, again, uses this as a plea to her mother. So if he only put one foot down, is that other foot up? I, I, is he in the crane say, motion? I, I, when I picture it, they have both feet down. Right. So I'm putting my feet down, not my foot. Because if you have one foot up, you're going to say you have your foot up, even though one of your feet no, is No, you the- say, like, it's, the, the phrase is you put his foot down, which yeah. means then they have to be up. Yeah. To put one down. That is true. So if he has one foot down, if he put his foot down, that means he is now in the crane position. He's about to do a kick. Right. Oh, he is red hot. So again, Marie uses this as a plea to her mother to leave, uh, to leave Frank. Again, the Beth does not leave Frank. She doesn't waver. No. And now the decision is made that Marie is going to go live with her father. 
but it's in the hopes that Frank's going to kind of relent on this and allow her to come back. So every Beth is thinking this is temporary, but she but now Marie is going to go live with her father. And in the twelve years between divorcing the Beth and Marie moving back in, because now Marie is sixteen, you don't have to call her the Beth anymore. But I like the Beth. Okay. Uh, so now Stephen Robards has only seen his daughter about once or twice a month in this time, but he has gotten his life back together. He's matured quite a bit in this time. He was once severely depressed, notoriously irresponsible, and chronically unemployed. Now he has a job as a mail carrier, and he has a one-bedroom apartment. He also had a girlfriend. Uh, Sandra Hudgens is his girlfriend, and she lived in the same apartment building. And Stephen was very excited that his daughter was coming back into his life, and she was going to be moving in with him. He applied for a two-bedroom apartment in his building, but... As enthusiastic as Stephen was about this arrangement, Marie was miserable in her new home. She frequently called the Beth, complaining and begging to return. The apartment was too small, and Stephen didn't keep it clean. She had to sleep on a rollaway bed. They didn't have enough forks, spoons, and knives. She hated their new school. She just was miserable there. She wanted to go back with her mom and, and Frank. Frank, yeah. And Marie told her mother that she was suicidal, but the Beth dismissed that as just a teenager acting like a dramatic teenager would act. And this is from Texas Monthly Magazine. Uh, Sandra Hudgens told Texas Monthly Magazine, he, meaning Stephen, was very anxious about pleasing her, meaning Beth, and he did everything he could to make her feel comfortable. Not Beth, Marie, sorry. Stephen was very anxious about pleasing uh, Marie and did everything he could to make her feel comfortable. He That's took gross. Marie out to Not like that. Oh. He took Marie out to restaurants. It does sound like... We <laughs> He took her out uh, to restaurants and movies. Yeah. But I know those, those... And he stuck his finger in her ass, but not like that. <laughs> no. He was also a proctology student. But I know those first few weeks, Marie was constantly on the phone calling her mother. She was pleading to get back home. But after a while, things appeared to be turning around. Marie started, started excelling in school like she did when she lived with her mother. She seemed to be bonding more with her classmates, so they do remember her talking about wanting to go back home. And she later actually told J. Randall Price, a psychologist who had she had had. That dude sounds either rich or like he's going to murder someone. J. Randall Price is the most Texas name ever. So this is Texas, and I I like that. I'm J. J. Randall Randall Price. Price. I'm in the oil business. Yeah, and I'm a psychologist. (laughs) He's he's got a big gut. He's got a big belt buckle. (laughs) I see. I see. (laughs) I'm from the south. (laughs) I see. I see. She's suicidal. But no, uh, she did tell. Uh, the psychologist that she had considered burning down Stephen's apartment so that her mother would have to take her back home. All right. What Marie Robards does instead in February of 1993 is she poured some powdered barium acetate from a chemistry lab bottle in high school that was marked poisonous into a napkin while no one was looking. So she's in chem lab. There's this bottle marked poisonous. She takes some of the powder out of the bottle into a napkin, puts it in her backpack. Later that night, Stephen Robards had bought the Mexican food, and she sprinkled some of this barium acetate into his refried beans and mixed it up. According to Marie, this was an attempt to make her father sick, so she wouldn't be able to take care of him and she would be able to move home. Stephen then went to a church service that night, and he came home early, about an hour into the thing. Uh, About an hour after he left, he came home complaining of a stomach ache. Uh, Not too long after that, he begins vomiting and complaining of stiffness in his arms and legs, so Mary... I'm sorry, not Mary, Marie, (laughs) ran to Sandra's apartment and told her that Stephen wasn't feeling well. So Marie stayed in Sandra's apartment with Sandra's son, listening to the radio, while Sandra rushes down to the other apartment to take care of Stephen. And when she's there, Stephen is now foaming at the mouth. His eyes are open and just staring blankly in the space. 
Paramedics tried paramedics tried to rescue Stephen Robards, but his throat had already completely closed and he was dead. The Beth and Frank took Marie home from the hospital that night, and the autopsy on Stephen Robards found nothing unusual. The local police department didn't have the $150,000 machine that you needed at the time to detect barium poisoning. And his death was ruled as a heart attack. Oh, Christ. And not long after Stephen's funeral, uh, the Beth told Marie that she would be separating from Frank and that the two of them would be moving to Florida. I told her that Frank and I were still having problems and I was moving out. Beth told, the Beth told Texas Monthly Magazine. Marie started to, or Marie stared at me. You had this plan all along to take me to Florida, she asked. I told her I had found a job there and we were moving and we were going to be together again, just the two of us. Marie looked like she couldn't breathe. Kind of like her dad, huh? And she, and so Beth is just thinking about this retrospectively. If I had only told Marie one week earlier, none of this would have ever happened. In Florida, Marie was so depressed that she couldn't get out of bed most days. And that was before Frank Burrow showed up again. Oh, and uh, believing his promises to work on their marriage, Beth took Frank back. So now Frank is in Florida with them. <laughs> Within weeks, Marie found a note from Beth's mistress, uh, from Frank's mistress. So the fucking, the wrong guy dies out of all this. Yeah, she should have killed Frank. If any, if, <laughs> if anybody should have yeah. died, it was Frank. Yeah. He's a piece of shit. Right. Hey, fuck you, Frank. Steven, Steven Robards was doing his best. Like, yeah. This guy's trying to please his fuck, uh, and not in the way you think, sickos. Yeah. He's trying to please his fucking, He's his daughter. Diner. He's yeah. taking him to dinner and movies and. That's no. he wasn't trying to wine and dine her. Oh, okay, he, he he was trying to be a good dad. Yeah, like, he's yeah, trying to be a good dad, and, 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 good dad. and she is a fucking idiot, and she kills the wrong guy, really. And so, within weeks, Marie finds a note from Frank's mistress, and basically shows it to Beth, like he's still fucking around on you. And having enough, she tells her mom. Now she got what she wanted. She's back with her mom. She tells her mom she misses Texas and she's going back home. So, Marie, this time around, winds up with her paternal grandfather, Jim Robards, Stephen's father. Okay. She seems fine to the point... All I know is that, Jim, don't eat the Mexican. Yeah, don't eat the refried beans. No frijoles for you. Yeah. And Marie seemed fine to the point that uh, her mother later thinks that she was trying to atone for killing her father by being the ideal granddaughter. She was a straight-A student. She was in volleyball and yearbook. And she became very close friends with one of the most popular girls at her new school, Stacy High. That Stacey- sounds like the high school that no, she would have St- went to. Stacy High is the person. Oh, it's not the <laughs> not the school. She Stacey- was so popular they named the school <laughs> out after her. We're going to call this Stacy High now. Now, Stacy High is the uh, popular student. I don't know the name of the school, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't Stacy High. Okay. Stacy and Marie were studying Shakespeare's Hamlet in their senior year. When the Cliff Notes descri- Cliff's Notes description of Claudius caused Marie to break you think, down. Is, is, see, I always said Cliff Notes growing up. Yeah, but it's Cliff's. They're his notes. So if you ask for them back, you better give them to him. But, okay, Mitch Hedberg. <laughs> uh, is it really, is the thing literally called Cliff's Notes? I believe so, yeah. Cliff's Notes. Because I always said Cliff Notes growing up. I believe it's Cliff's Notes. Huh. It's creepy. There was another thing earlier on in the, uh, in the the bank vault, the bank robbery one, where I had to look it up to make sure I had it right. Because is it a safe deposit box or a safety deposit box? So I've heard it both ways, and I believe it is a safe deposit box. Safe deposit. Yeah, but a, lot, a lot of people say a safety deposit box. I've never ever said safety deposit box. It's safe deposit. Right. Right. 
Okay. And so they're studying these notes about Claudius and Hamlet, who was responsible for killing a ton of people. And the notes describe Claudius as not a monster, but an erring human being who should be pitied despite his crimes. And needless to say, Marie Rollbards identifies with Claudius. And she started breaking down and crying, and she confessed to Stacy that he had, she had accidentally killed her father uh, a while before this. Stacy winds up telling her mother Libby, and Libby was also very close to Marie. Libby High, instead of Which is to- a rival high school. <laughs> no, it's just her mother. Oh. It, it's it's uh it's Stacy High's mother, Libby. Libby left a decision on whether or not she should tell somebody up to Stacy. Instead of her going to the cops, yeah, my daughter's friend said she killed her dad. She's like, eh, I'm just gonna let my kid decide. But at this point though, now she's she should be because they have this information. Yeah. And you know this information. Now you're like an accessory. It's like, it's like yeah. a collusion thing, right? Yeah. Okay. So Stacy High agonizes over this for months, and she's very uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable around Marie all this time. She even dropped off the yearbook so she would have to spend less time with Marie. She's aiding and embedding a fucking murderer. Well, until she tells the school counselors about what Marie said. So the school counsel she she does finally tell school counselors who who does now. Stacy. Stacy. Stacy okay. told her guidance counselor that. Marie said she killed her father, and the counselors obviously go to the police. Luckily, they don't have to go up, uh, like, go exhume the body or anything, like a lot of poisoning cases, because at this time in Texas, I don't know if they still do this or not, but they would actually take a a blood sample from anybody who died in a way they considered suspicious, so they still had a sample of Stephen Robards' blood on, um, on file, and they tested it for poisoning. But this was made harder because of the wait times. There weren't that many labs that had this really expensive machine. So it took forever to get this test done. And at this time, now now Stacy's freaking out even more because she's thinking because nothing happened. Oh, Marie might have just been making it up. I I just like sold her out and she didn't do anything. And she's like just agonizing over it. Marie was actually enrolled in the University of Texas at Austin by the time the test came in. And the test found that the level of barium in Stephen's blood was 250 times the normal level. So obviously he had been poisoned. Marie was arrested on murder charges, but was later freed on bail pending trial. And while she was out on bail and on trial for murder, she worked at a TGI Friday. She was a waitress. Oh Somebody that was a, accused that, that, of poisoning, poisoning food. food was a waitress. Yeah. Huh. What is up with TGI Fridays? Well, I mean, it's a weird thing. It, I, I kind of commend them for yeah. giving someone a chance, but at the same time, look Let's at wait the look, after the trial. Look at the charges. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I, yeah, I, I, I'd be like, oh, really? You poison food? <laughs> okay. And and also at this time, the sixty thousand dollar life insurance policy on Stephen Robards paid for Marie's lawyers. So, oh shit. Yeah. And the lawyers argued that Marie, they, 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 they acknowledged that she did it, and she acknowledged that she did it, but they argued that Marie had no idea that she had administered a well, lethal dose of barium. As, as they, that's, that's a great argument because mm-hmm. she was only trying to make him sick. Yeah. Well, according she, to her. There's, uh, the, I that's guess, true. Yeah, according that's to her. True. And they, they said that she had no idea that, that this was a lethal dose and that she should be tried for manslaughter instead. Right. It sounds like they were angling for a plea bargain that, that they didn't get. Right. Uh, and despite and, and another thing that was um, working out well for Marie here is Jim Robards, her grandfather, whose son she killed, was pleading for forgiveness and asking for a probationary sentence. 
And uh, Marie was found guilty of murder. Didn't matter. For one thing, this is Texas. Texas yeah. doesn't fuck around when it comes to this shit. She's lucky she didn't get the chair. Um, but one of the most damning parts of the trial was that Stacy High testified that Marie told her she knew the poisoning could be fatal when she did it. Like, she didn't okay. know she was going to kill her dad, but she knew she could. Okay, so she knows that that's a... Possibility. Well, I mean, even even still, I, I guess it's like, look, you could drink a, a lot of water, like going back to that... Yeah. Uh, the hold, the your hold your pee for a week. Or hold your yeah. wee for a week. You know that drinking a lot of water could be fatal... Uh, giving a glass of water, you know, might not, or, or maybe, maybe like a gallon might hurt your stomach, but two gallons is going to kill you right. if you don't pee. Um, maybe I see, that's where I'm like, I, I would, I would want to know that she, it does seem more manslaughter to me than murder. Uh, absolutely. It does seem yeah. more manslaughter. I'd want to know that she like, okay. So she knows that it could be fatal if there was too much. But yeah, what were her intentions? I yeah. mean, it's a bad, it's a bad idea anyway. Obviously, yeah. Um, and the prosecution pushed for a life sentence in addition to the murder charge. They called Marie a teenage narcissist and said she knew exactly what she was doing. Right, and and people are going to do that without ever knowing her character. Mm-hmm. You know, like without ever knowing her character. Well, I think their argument was she was willing to poison her dad just so she could move into a house she liked more. That tells you what you need to know about her character. That's a good point, though. Yeah, it is. No, it's a very good point. But ultimately, happened. I'm not talking about this particular thing. I'm just yeah. saying in general, you always, you know, you always get people to think that they know about the the person without ever really examining things. But I'm sure they examined enough. Yeah, and they're right. No, they're they're absolutely right. Like, yeah, you poison someone knowing what it could potentially do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they should have just gave her the electric chair. <laughs> Sorry, I changed my mind on this one. What they wound up doing is they wound up giving her a 28-year prison term in 1996. They should have said, hey, take a bite of this fucking bean burrito. <laughs> we only put poison in half. Yeah, of half of it. Yeah, you, yeah, so you got a 50 like old. That's like an old school thing where they would like, uh, they would, they, like the whole thing with witches where they would, I don't know if this is true or not. They said they would like tie them up to like a board or something. They would throw them in the water. And if they drowned, they weren't a witch. If they did drown, they were a witch and they would kill them. Mm. So they were dead either way. Yeah. At yeah, least really. the one you died with honor because you weren't a witch. Oh, gosh. But that didn't happen to Marie either. She was sentenced to 28 years in prison in 1996 with seven years before the possibility of parole. And she served a little over seven years. She was released in 2003, which now they look at it, it was exactly seven years. So she did get out in seven years. And uh, she is now living under a new identity. I believe she has kids. Um, so... She got out after seven years. And well, you know, I, I, I moved hope, on with her life. I hope that. I mean, that, that's gonna, it's gonna eat away at her for the rest of her life. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, when did this originally happen? In the nineties, it would happen in nineteen ninety three. Oh, okay, but she didn't get caught until a few years later, and right. she didn't get sentenced until ninety six. Okay. So yeah, so she's it happens. So ten years later, she's fucking free. Yeah, well, she only yeah, she was only in jail for seven years. Right, but still, Which, ten years after the yeah, the parole thing. Obviously, she probably had good behavior and things like that. Ten years after the deadly murder, the deadly murder, the murder most deadly. Oh, look, I mean, that was, was a oh, what was that? There was a thing called a very fatal murder. Oh, it was a um a podcast by the Onion. There was like a parody of true crime podcast like Serial. 
Yeah. It was called A Very Fatal yeah. Murder. Mm-hmm. And uh, this podcast is almost over. That, that, that was the last story we have. All right. Well, but there's one to go thing. Home. No. Oh, no, no, no. There's one thing left to do. Hey, Bri. What? Do you want some beans? I'm BP. And I do not want some beans. Bri Pat. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. No beans. I will never eat refried. That's not true. I like refried beans. You love bean burritos. I do like bean burritos. That, yeah. I think they're your favorite burritos. No, I like uh, beef and bean chicken. No, I like uh, Taco Bell has a seven layer burrito. I like I like guacamole in a burrito. Uh, I love guacamole. Yeah, I haven't had guacamole for. I, I not love. I like guacamole, but it was always a. I really liked it at Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah, well, that's where I would get the seven layer burritos from. Yeah, it had like rice, beans, guacamole, sour cream. It was like it's great. I oh, Christ, it. you're gonna end up ordering Taco Bell. Huh. One of the things, even no, like Grubhub, you think would, but they don't here. Really? Yeah. DoorDash doesn't. No, I think I think Uber Grubhub. And, no, I don't think any of them do. I think, wow. Yeah, around here, Uber Eats only delivers like McDonald's and Friendlies. There's there's a lot of them on that. Um, there's a lot of them on that uh, DoorDash thing, but not Taco Bell. Huh. And Grubhub, you can get like KFC on it, but they don't deliver. You have to go pick it up. That's weird. Uh, that, nonetheless, you're just stalling because you know what's coming. That that's what I was talking about. Talk. Well, about I don't want to stall anymore because I just want to get it over with now. So it's let's time do it. for who died the worst. Uh, Everybody the worst. but you's favorite uh, segment, where it still doesn't have a theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost twenty five episodes in, and we still don't have a theme song for who died the worst. <laughs> Guys, listen. We need a theme song for who died the worst. The jingle. We need a jingle jangle. Jingle jangle jam. Yeah. Garvin. Gotta get this wrestling reference in while we can. So the way this works, if this is your first time listening, is that I will present three deaths. Uh this 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 one uh Also if it's your fourth time listening too. Yeah, maybe you need a reminder. Maybe you forgot. Yeah. I'm gonna present three deaths and you're gonna tell me who died the worst. These are three purported actual deaths, but one is ancient Greece, and as we learned, some of those older ones are very iffy. Like, we always bring up the Chinese guy who saw the reflection of the moon and tried to kiss it while drunk and fell in and and drowned, and that probably didn't happen. And the guy who had a turtle shell dropped on his head. So, the first death does come from ancient Greece, so maybe this happened, maybe it didn't. There are paintings of this, but maybe it's a fable and not a real thing. And this is a... Sisamenes. Sisamenes. S-I-S-A-M-N-E-S. Sisamenes, we'll say. Sisamenes. Siamese. Twins. If you please. According to Herodotus, Sisamenes was a corrupt judge under Cambyses II of Persia, and Sisamenes accepted a bribe and delivered an unjust verdict. As a result, a king had him arrested and flayed alive, Mm. which was common back then. Bobby flayed. Mm, Yeah. Depends on how he's prepared. Go ahead. Well, he, he was just skinned, basically. Mm. He was flayed alive, and they used his skin to to cover a chair, to basically upholster a how chair. How perfect is that, by the way? You're a chef, and your last name is Flay. That is... His name should just be Bobby Chef. It should be Bobby Filet. True. Yeah. And then, we're not done yet, Sosomenes' skin was then used to cover a seat which his son Otanis, who was also a judge, would sit in and uh, as a judge. They like they punished his son too. Like, yeah, your father was a corrupt judge, so if you're a judge, you have to sit in a chair that's made out of your father's skin. <laughs> <laughs> 
It would be Happy like Father's Day, everybody. It would be like David Benoit getting like whipped into a turnbuckle that was made out of his father's skin. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's like it, David didn't do anything. You have to use the bowflex that your father hanged himself on. So that's death number one, being flayed alive. Right. And then your son has to sit in a chair made out of your skin. Yeah. Death number two is uh, Louis Third, king of West Francia. And he died around the age of 18 at Saint-Denis. Not the city in Red Dead Redemption 2. This is a different Saint-Denis. Okay. While Whilst mounting his horse to pursue a girl who was running to seek refuge, he was basically chasing after a girl like Pepe Le Pew. She runs into her father's house to, to take refuge. He runs after her and hit his head on the lintel of a low door, fracturing his skull. Okay. So death number two, fracturing your skull, hitting your head on a low door mm. while chasing skirts. Right. Death number three is 13-year-old Hevel Yidram of Turkey. He was killed when a sacrificial goat bought for the Eid Alada jumped, which is a uh, Muslim festival of sacrifice. Right. So his family was going to sacrifice a goat. Uh, the goat jumped off the roof over a protective fence and fell on him. Okay. Yildrum's father placed the goat on the roof of the building where they lived because he could not find another suitable place to keep it. So I'm, I'm sure the goat died too, I'm going to guess. But the sacrificial goat jumps over the fence. You know, I fence. hope the goat didn't die in that case, by well, the way. They probably would have sacrificed him anyway. Yeah. Sacrifice. I just hope that it bounced off this Muslim idiot's fucking head. Well, the kid didn't do anything. It was a father. Yeah, he had a father, so it's his fault. This is just a 13-year-old kid. Yeah. So, so just to... Re- he was going to grow up to be a piece of shit, too. Just to recap, death number Reca- one... Recap, yeah. Re- just to recap. Just a recap. I can't say recap. And to further recap... Death number one is being flayed alive mm. and having Bobby a chair died. upholstered out of your body that your son has to sit on. Mm-hmm. Death number two is running after a girl and hitting your head. Mm-hmm. Death number three is a sacrificial goat jumps off a roof and lands on you. All right. Number one, the first one that I'm going to eliminate, because uh, uh, we do this on every episode, mm-hmm. I, I do most episodes i do process of elimination you do and i trust the process of elimination uh i am going to eliminate first pepe Le Pew. i that's what i was thinking it's his fault because fuck him yeah he's rapey he's literally rapey he's yeah. rapey um so he's gone first the second one is the muslim kid mm-hmm. all right 13 years old, you're still living with that fucking idiot family, the sacrificing goats? Yeah. Come on. Again, not his fault. Yeah, it's his fault for still living there. <laughs> he should have moved out. He should have been like first of all, Robards. First of all, he should have been like, hey, where's uh, where's dad keeping that goat? Oh, on the roof? I'm not going to stand here. <laughs> yeah. Fuck him. Uh, so he's gone. So our winner is the chair guy. The chair guy. Yeah. And that's also a bad way to go, being flayed alive. Yeah, you're flayed alive, then you're made into a fucking chair. What's yeah. he, Ed Gein? Pretty much, yeah. It's fucking creepy shit. The people are fucking nuts, but I think that that's the worst. And then George R. R. Martin's like, okay, House Bolton's gonna do this. Because they were the flay- flaying ones. Mm. It was a very common thing, though, back in the day, that they would just skin yeah, people. Yeah, no alive. shit. People were fucking crazy. They were. And and I agree with you, that is definitely, like the, I think, the worst way to go of those three. And that is a worthy winner of this special Father's Day edition of Who Died the Worst. And that concludes this special Father's Day edition of Murder, My Dude. Do you have anything to add? Uh, follow our social media. 
follow us at projecthumanoid.com. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-H-U-M-A-N-O-I-D.com. And on most social media platforms, you are Murder My Dude, except AOL. Facebook. Well, AOL is the messenger here. Yeah. Uh, Facebook. Facebook, yes. Facebook, not AOL. Yeah, AOL. <laughs> Except for Errols. Except for AOL. If you have a time machine... <laughs> we are- we're not on AOL. That's We're not on MySpace either. Though we are on MySpace's Project Humanoid, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're still there. Really? Because I heard like uh, like the first 12 years of MySpace got erased. I maybe we're not. Then. Yeah, we I thought. Be- I thought. No, I just checked recently. We were. Oh, okay. I just can't sign into anything because I don't remember <laughs> fucking passwords or even emails. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. So yeah, Facebook. We are podcast, my dude, because they don't like you to have murder in your name. Yeah, it's fucking stupid. Which stinks because I went to school with people with the last name Murder, but it was spelled differently. So yeah, so I guess it would be okay. Yeah, I went to Stacy High. <laughs> went to Stacy. Yeah, that's where I went see, to I school. Went, see, I went to, uh, I went to, what was the mom's name again? It would have been better if I remembered for the joke. Tammy High? Oh, Libby. Libby High, yeah, I went to Libby High. Was it Rival Libby? schools, yeah. Lily, Libby. No, it was Libby. It was definitely Libby. That's funny, because I grew up, there was a lady named Libby on my street. Well, isn't that one of those things that was like short for Elizabeth, Libby? Oh, it's not? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Yeah. I shook my head, by the way. They, they didn't hear yeah. it. Yeah. If they did hear it, there's something wrong with them. Well, there's something wrong with your head. One or the other. Well, there is. My, I have some neck issues. Neck issues. I have some lingering neck issues. So, like, like a weak guy's trying to bring it down. Yeah. Another, Another Mitch Hedberg joke. Yeah. It's going to go out with Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. you got to get them in before. No, episode. that's what's going to replace. I thought that was going to replace the wrestling thing. Mitch, Mitch Hedberg references. Oh, just 25. You know, so we'll do 25 <laughs> yeah, we're episodes. We're going to do the nonsense. It's going to be different nonsense. You're right, just different nonsense yeah. to each 25 episodes. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Well, there's still one more episode because the next episode is episode 25. So tw- 25 is not the end. Uh, it is the end. So it's not like we end them now. It's almost like the season finale of Murder, My Dude. It is. It's going to be. Are we taking a break after that? This or? is, yeah. Oh, we About are. a week. We're going to have a week off? No, we're going to have a week in between shows. After episode 25? Yeah. Okay, so there's going to be a new episode next week, but not the week after? No. I'm confused. No, next week there's going to be a new episode, Mm -hmm. and then we're going to take off that week in between episodes. (laughs) Okay, like we always do. Yeah. Okay, so, all right, I follow you. Yeah, it's like people say, uh, I'm vegan in between meals. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. It's like I quit drinking in between drinks. Yeah. Yeah. I quit drinking six days a week. Yeah. So we're not doing our show in between shows. It'd be weird if we did our show in between shows. But this show is over. Yeah. So we'll happy, see you next ha- week. Happy trails. Happy trail. Happy trails. Happy trails. Mom, you know, my dad liked all that stuff. Who was all that? Right. Gene Autry? The singing cowboy? Or no, Roy Rogers was the singing cowboy. Roy Rogers was happy trails. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Gene Autry was like a dancer, wasn't he? No, he did. Oh, he was a cowboy dancer? He was a cowboy singer. Okay. All right. Yeah. Either way, we'll see you next week with more murder. My dude.
think I'm going to buy a Bowflex. Are you sure that that wasn't Jason Robards? Positive. Okay. It was Dorothy Robards. Dorothy Jason I think Robards. it was Jim Roberts. Maybe. Who the fuck knows? Do you remember Jim Roberts? No. 